Hey, what's good, people? This is the Option Podcast. This is episode 169. Wow. Maybe. Yeah. Wow, 169. That guy over there, that's Yogi Aaron. We're going to find out if that is, in fact, Yogi Aaron. It looks like him, smiles <laughs> like him. The episode starts right now. What's up, Yogi? Hey, how are you doing there? Oh, nice my. to meet you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for coming. For for everybody listening, you have asked and you have asked and you have asked, okay? And you shall receive because for me, I've got to give the people, give the people what they want. <laughs> this is Yogi Aaron. He is a yoga instructor, hot yoga, naked yoga, this yoga, that yoga. We are going to get into that. But... um. Allow me to start from present to past a little bit, and we, um, we you know, I'm not, I don't do this thing, do any of this in chronological order. So, we're just two guys talking, Ash, just a conversation. All right. Um, we had a conversation about knee pain before, a brief yes. conversation about knee pain before I got on, and um, my audience is very, very athletic laden, uh, particularly in a sport, the wheelhouse of beach volleyball and indoor volleyball. So, and. There is nothing that finishes a career or wanes down a career faster than not knowing how to land. Because um, I landed on, I jumped with two feet, but I'd land on my right. I'm left-handed, so I would do the, you know, the approach. And I'll show you, I have a camera here that'll show you what my knee looks like. It looks, looks pretty gnarly. But I think I have you on the podcast and, and it is my honor, duty, and privilege because I think we can have a conversation about a lot of modern prevention. You know, yes. we can talk about healing, which, I mean, consistent with your wheelhouse, <laughs> is included <laughs> but not limited to such, right? So, absolutely. I would like to talk about knee pain. What? Let's say there's someone that's dealing with chronic knee pain, whether it's arthritic or whether they have um, a little or no cartilage left on on their knee, maybe towards the, um, I guess, I guess the ACL and. Um, MCL, right? That's where all that wear and tear happens. PCL always mm -hmm. seems always seems fat. Uh, um, talk to me about process and preparation. Um, some of the more common um, pain uh, knee pains and how to um, how to work through it. The floor is yours. I am yapping away. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. <laughs> about time I shut up. <laughs> are you gonna, are you going to break into another song, baby, to, to introduce me again? Yeah. Uh <laughs> Perhaps killing me softly. <laughs> <laughs> so I think there's like many different ways to answer this question. So it's not an easy like your question isn't just a black or white answer. And 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 as we get into like understanding the body, nothing is ever black and white. So let's just start with that first, okay? But I was actually having this conversation with a doctor friend of mine just two days ago, um, you know, pathology versus functionality, you know, fu uh, form versus function, basically. And so there's a couple of angles to look at this. You know, some of us are pre-genetically disposed to arthritis or to certain inflammatory uh, responses. And so that's, that's biomet, that's genetics, that's, you know, inherent, but whatever the situation is, we can minimize it by making sure that our muscular system is working properly. 
And so, you know, you're talking about um, volleyball and a lot of athletes in volleyball, volleyball players end up hurting their knees. And so why is that? So because we train like morons, but go ahead. They train like morons, but there's okay. So first of all, you have stress. You have a constant stress. You're banging, banging, banging uh, the knees. The question is, is the body's muscular system ready to absorb uh, that shock? And I would surmise probably no. And so, yes, at the 16 year old level, sure their bodies you know regenerate they're still producing hormone growth human growth hormones um they're still able to recover quickly but now you you fast forward to age 20 22 and and you actually look at like i know this is not this is outside of volleyball now but you look at like um olympic athletes and so especially gymnasts and you look at gymnasts and you see them all in ace bandages by the time they're 20, 22 years old because their bodies just are not uh, recovering. And so you have the stress of the sport. You know, it's all of these sports when you're playing at that level become very high intense. And so that's putting stress on the body. Then you add into the fact that a lot of their neuromuscular system response isn't working properly. And so what I mean by that is, for example, and I'm, I'm sort of a little bit out of my league or my lane right now, but I was a volleyball player right. um, up until the age of 18. So I know a little bit about it. And then for yeah. fun after that. Well, let, uh, let me interrupt you for a second. At that level. Sorry, can I, can I, let a, me interrupt for a second. Sorry. Sure. Um, in terms of indoor volleyball, right, flat surface, um, yeah. In terms of beach volleyball, more forgiving surface. But so I wanted you to continue sure. with that mindset. Sorry about that. Yeah, absolutely. And I've played both um, more indoor when I was much younger. Um, my team was like number one in the Northwest Territories in Canada. Um, if that counts for anything. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> but, um, at, at, you know, at age 14. So but you add in so you go up and you're doing these spikes you're you're jumping and then you land it what should be happening is as you land there's a whole bunch of muscles that need to be uh contracting in order to support the joints of the body and so if the ankle joints aren't working properly or the muscle supporting the ankle joints that's going to go up to the knees and then if it's not in the knees you know, then it's going to go into the hips. And if it's on the hips, it's going to go up into the lower back. And if those aren't working, all of it's going to go back into the knees mm -hmm. uh, and the ankles, which is why you end up with a lot of problems. So it's really important to make sure like the main stabilizer muscles, I call them the shock absorbers, like the glutes and the hip flexors. If those shock absorbers are not working properly, it starts to place a lot of damage on the joints. And so to answer your question, we can minimize it. Now you mentioned arthritis. Arthritis is an inflammatory uh, problem. So it's a creating inflammation. And so from our perspective, what the lane that I drive in is sort of like looking at the neuromuscular system. So you can imagine like a telephone line between your brain and the muscles, right? So you've got all of these muscles supporting the knee. You've got the four quads, you have the four hamstrings. Um, there's also muscles in the lower leg that are supporting the knees. And then you have the hip flexors and hip extensors. See all these muscles. If those muscles are not connected to the brain, the brain has no way to send a message. Hey guys, 
we need to contract right, right. now. Yep. And if it's not, then it's, that force is going to go into, we're talking about some of the cartilage in the knees, and that's why it gets worn down. With um, arthritis being an inflammation, it, that even messes up the signaling between the brain and the muscles even more so. So inflammation really damages that neuro connection between the brain and the muscles. So you definitely, no matter what stage you are, you can always minimize it by making sure that your muscular system is working, but then also raising the threshold of it so that it doesn't break down. So that way, when you're doing all of those jumps, you can do jump after jump after jump after jump, and, you're, and it, that connection is gonna stay strong uh, the entire time. And this is why I got you on the podcast, uh, because there's, you know, there are people who are exercise physiologists, there are people that know about biomechanics and this and that, but I think you you are talking about something in, in relation to how uh, the feet, to the, to the calves, to the thighs, connected all the way from the seven major chakras of the spinal cord we're going to go there maybe, <laughs> maybe of course of course we will no but all the Absolutely. way up to the brain that sends messages to that and i this is where i'm like that you are more than qualified to talk about this a volleyball might not be your wheelhouse but but the association to how one form of pain people might not think is logically connected to another part of their body that so is which is and and between me you, you and me we're just getting started right i mean as far as that's well, concerned and, and I, knee pain um just for your listeners is really <laughs> close to my heart because yeah. when i was like 30 30 31 i had to actually hang up my hiking shoes because um i started going hiking and i ended up I remember the last time, well, that time period, I had to stop. I couldn't walk for three days. My knee was so inflamed. So then I would start to slowly like try my knee brace, but I always had like about a five kilometer threshold before my knee started becoming inflamed, even with the knee brace. Once I started doing muscle activations and you were watching some of my videos when I jumped on, once I started doing those exercises, I actually not only did was I able to start hiking again, I actually got rid of my knee brace. I don't need my knee brace anymore. And I'm 51. So in you know, 30, not able to do anything, probably should have looked at getting surgery. And then now 51, don't have surgery, don't have a knee brace, able to use my body in a much uh, stronger way now. So it's all about making sure that the brain is connecting to uh, the muscles. Yeah, for people listening to the podcast, I was... Um, I've, I was in the middle of watching one of his videos cause I had a distinct interest in knee pains and like exercises to help relieve and actually help strengthen your knees. And my zoom function like doesn't just allows people to drop in. So the whole time I'm watching this video, he's watching me watching his video and I, man, I felt like I was doing something wrong. I felt like I got caught <laughs> doing something wrong. <laughs> I taught um, in relation to a lot of the stretch, uh, um, the exercises, um, and some some were, are considered stretches, some are considered dynamic tension, or this or that, or maybe they're one and the same. I've also had some people on the podcast talk about um, steady diet as far as uh, rheumatoid arthritis or that form of arthritis and this and that. There's a guy I'd love love for you to meet. His name is uh, Phil Escott, and he wrote a book called How Rheumatoid Arthritis Was the Best Thing That Happened to Me. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, he was on a series of medications and this and that. His conditioning was worse. He walked with a cane. And then he made a simple, a few simple changes in his diet. He ran into a, um, one of these guys who like, who's like the leader of the meat militia and talked about carnivorism and all that stuff. And, and the rheumatoid arthritis went away. 
and the doctor says, you, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. You should go back on a medication. And he dumped his doctor and he, he doesn't have the cane anymore. Um, he's in his late 60s and he, he looks like he can, he can kick the crap out of both of us and, 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 and four different sports. And he, he does seminars. He's from the UK. And he, does, he does seminars where like doctors are, are flying yeah. in and sitting in for him. He's actually not a doctor, but um, who, who needs MD when you've been studying something for 30 years? Who needs to be a chef? Absolutely. Who needs to be a chef when you know how to make steak? <laughs> you know? well, um, yeah. Doctors are, you know, we love our doctors. I would never get rid of, you know, my doctors. No. But things I've kind of learned is that doctors have a very specific lane that they drive in. And I always tell my yoga students without any kind of ego or arrogancy, like when you do your training, you're going to understand more about muscle function than most physiotherapists right. and doctors, because they just don't understand like the biomechanics of how muscles work. They understand in their head where mm -hmm. the muscles are, but a lot of them don't understand what those muscle functions are and, and how to improve the muscle function so we have to kind of like you know all drive in our own lane and share knowledge <laughs> i i would also suggest that uh, uh lately or the last few years the doctor's lanes have narrowed because um yes. because like you're practicing whatever internist or even your your specialist your cardiologist or whatever and this and that um yeah. has mandates handed down by people you know from a lab you know, to unelected, to unelected officials, to them that are telling their patients how to practice medicine absent of what they feel about it uh, professionally yeah. based on their knowledge. So, so you actually have more freedom, but the drawback is for you is you have to have more trust in your patient than a doctor does. You know, the reason yeah. why a doctor would choose Lipitor for their cholesterol level instead of a healthy diet, uh, it's the patient either doesn't trust himself right to to to, be, to have that discipline or yeah. the doctor's like you know maybe he treats two different patients the same he's like no you're on Lipitor I know you're not going to do that you I, no. I, you know let's let's do something else so there is a little bit more independence but at the same time responsibility of mutual yeah. trust that, that you have to the patient has to trust you 10 times more than a doctor a yeah. doctor that just well, a doctor's blind it. trust. They just do what they told. You you have you provide them an understanding. It's important to also like work with doctors who are willing to experiment with you. You know, you brought up Lipidor. This is going way off topic. But I think it's, you know, and, and I did a well, Hold on. This podcast I, uh, is not brought to you by Pfizer. <laughs> but go ahead. <laughs> That's Lipitor, but, right? Yeah, but go ahead. With Lipitor. Well, I had a personal situation where I actually experimented with Lipitor on and off for three years. And then finally, I was like, oh, shit, I really do need it. This is genetic. But I had another friend who went like the whole vegan route and and doesn't drink and stop drinking sodas and just really, you know, just ate vegetables for three months and his HDL levels like drop dramatically. So mm -hmm. it's just, I think it just all depends. And, but what is important is to find doctors that you can experiment with and who are willing to kind of work with you. And that's like the whole point of having a doctor is somebody who's a confidant and can help you and, and be there and be like a stabilizing force as you're trying to navigate your health and what you need to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, in the in my most recent episode, I told um uh, my guest uh, Carl Beckstron, he's 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 definitely a health and wellness guy as far as like the uh, the, yeah. the mind, same sex relationships, heterosexual relationships. Great episode. But 
I worked for in a cardiology practice for a guy named Dr. Isidore Rosenfeld uh, for 17 years in New York. Um, kind of a father figure to me. But he wrote mm -hmm. a book called Doctor, What Should I Eat? And this is a book that prescribes foods for ailments instead of medications. And yeah. at the time, I weighed 265 pounds. Yeah. So I took a year, kind of took my time with it. You know, I was also ex-military, so I knew uh, uh, healthy exercises I can do and, you know, uh, um, to contribute to that. And net weight, I ended up losing 65 pounds. Like I got wow. as I got as low as 186, kind of squared off around 205. Right now, you know, I I I put on the quarantine 15, but so now I'm around 207. <laughs> you know, I'm 207, but I ain't 264. The quarantine 215. I love the, that. The quarantine 15. Yeah, <laughs> we call it the quarantine 15. <laughs> but um, but net weight right now about 60 pounds. Never Good look back. Um and. The reason why I'm I'm even sh doing this is because it shapes uh, uh, my next question that me losing the weight wasn't a diet. It wasn't a goal. It turned into a lifestyle. It turned into yeah. a way of life. It's not like I do this and when I do this and I reach this weight, I just go back to doing to, no to normal or doing what I'm doing. A and yeah. how much do people who, who come to you appreciate the change uh, um, not just in their body and not just in healing, because um, we're, we're done with volleyball. They don't, they don't deserve me just then. That's as much as we're going to give volleyball. So we're moving on. Uh, um, so because we're, we're, we're going to move on to regular human beings. Uh, um, how much do they appreciate? It's, it's a weird question, so I'm going to take my time. How much do they appreciate that when they coming into it, they're just trying to get rid of the pain, but somewhere in the, in the middle of it or getting out of it, they have a lifestyle? Most people, when they come to me, have been dealing with some sort of chronic pain for a long time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's difference between like, oh, I've got a backache or I've got like hip aches or something like that. Um, but when I get people in my programs uh, or emailing me, like I'll give an example. There was a woman recently who contacted me and said, you know, I was really skeptical about all of your stuff, but I thought, you know, why not? I've been dealing with this hip pain for four years now, chronic hip pain, and I've been starting to implement it into my program. And it, for the first time in four years, I'm without pain. And so people can feel it really quickly. Um, and it's quite dramatic. I had one woman come in, her name was Hendrik, uh, from Germany, and she had like this searing shoulder pain. She was a huge yoga person. And one of the things in yoga, and a lot of these kind of like very fit yoga classes that you do, they do a lot of what's called uh, chaturanga dandasanas, which is like half uh, plank pose. And most of the time it's not done correctly, which puts a lot of stress on the shoulder joint because people's muscles aren't working. They're their pecs have checked out, their traps have checked out, anterior serratus. And it was like within two weeks with actually it was a two week program, but like seven days, she's like, this is the first time I don't feel pain in my shoulder for, you know, years. And it was, she actually fell off sort of the yoga bandwagon because her shoulders hurt too much. And so doing the program, she realized, oh, I don't have to do those silly chaturanga dandasanas. Um, I don't have to do push-ups. And I don't have to be in pain anymore. So it's it's very, it's like a new lease on life. I remember, as I was telling you about my knee issues, like when my knees 
once I started to realize my knees were doing better and I didn't have to be in pain, um, it's like a new lease on life. Uh, I can't describe it any other way. I mean, I think that a, a big problem with people as they get older, and I this is probably one of like the most debilitating problems, is they just expect, oh, I'm older. I can't do that anymore. And that's like not a good attitude because that's going to lead to more uh, at entry. It's going to lead to more problems. And then, you know, the, the, those weaknesses are just going to keep exacerbating until you end up having to be in a wheelchair um, all the time. <laughs> it is. Um, I think you hit it right on the head. I, I got look, we're almost the same age. All right. I'm 52. I'm 53 in July. No, you're not. Yeah, I know, right? I look. <laughs> I would never have guessed more than 38. I know. I was gonna say I look like a, I look like a creepy 35. I don't, you know. <laughs> hey, 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 little girl, what's your name? <laughs> help! Help! <laughs> um, <laughs> so, <laughs> where were we? Uh, um, no, but you're right in the sense that we're old enough where we see a lot of friends we grew up with or maybe went to school with or associate with or, or, or had jobs with long term yeah. um fall into this fallacy of concession yeah uh, uh well my body's changing and your body changes with age uh, um and this you know and it is what it is um when i lost the weight i was 30 so i was in the middle of that too but yeah and i don't know what kind of inciting incident that it would take for them to say, I, I want to live longer. Okay. Even if I, even if I agree to the concessions, there's gotta be something I could do to get an extra 10 years of my life. What do I do? Yeah. I, and, and sometimes it wears on them and they, they just run to someone like you or, or, or even Dr. Rosenfeld, Dr. What should I eat? Or my guy, Dr. Bart K, the leader of the meat militia. Cause I, I, man, I'd love to have a freaking vegans versus meat eaters uh, debate with anybody after that guy. Uh, um, but um and i'll tell you a story about him later or, or about what i did from him later so some people it wears on them right uh, yeah. uh, and they eventually like give in and there's some people there's just one incident where they just run to someone like you for example me this it's 2001 i'm 265 right mm -hmm. it's new york city right my i just my wife just left me i just got divorced she's 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 gone right um, I got to pay double rent. So you know how that is now. We're not splitting the rent for no more. So you're just trying to figure out your living situation. And I'm on a train. And you know how like the New York subway uh, trains have like these little two-seaters on the end? I'm yeah. sitting on one end of the two-seater, right? You know, I got my bag over here. And this guy gets on the train. And he's kind of got like my hair. I got a little bit of a Jufro here. Uh, um, um, like a New York Jufro. And <laughs> he gets on the train. And he kind of looks like me. Kind of like, you know, my, my, my complexion. Except he's like 350. Maybe like 360, 375 maybe. And he's sitting in the two-seater, which to him is a one-seater because he's 350. <laughs> okay. And he breaks out McDonald's French fries on a 20-piece. And he's looking for a place to put the 20-piece, right? And he looks at his stomach. Puts the chicken McNuggets on his stomach and is eating the 20-piece off of his stomach. His resting place. His de facto uh, cup holder for his food. And I just looked at this guy and went, <laughs> don't don't walk <laughs> run <laughs> you know and, yeah. and 
And what I did, I had a good mixture of everything. I had a good mixture of uh, uh, fish, uh, salmon, you know, great source of omega-3. Uh, uh, veg yeah. Vegetables, uh, certain vegetables are really good. I started eating spinach cold instead of warm. Warm, it loses its nutritional value, though. Though green spinach is, is just, oh, it's just awesome. <laughs> uh, dropped haagen ice cream out of my life because it was a neurological addiction if, if, it's 11 o'clock at night and, and you actually get out of bed to get it. That's, that's a problem, <laughs> you know, instead of just saying I could eat ice cream another night. So, so those were certain things that I learned in, in my experience. And, and what I was saying before, and I'm getting somewhere, it became a lifestyle. Because if it wasn't a lifestyle, I would have gained the weight back. Yeah. That, that was 2001 to 2002. And because of that, first of all, when, you, when you're skinny like that, you, you're like the nutty professor, like Eddie Murphy. It's like you go to the store, get new clothes, right? It's like, can I help you with something? You're like spandex, everything spandex, you know. Uh, um, decided to go back to school, went to Marymount, Manhattan, 2002. You actually in New York came in 2001, right? You came into New York City in 2001. I, yes, yeah, January uh, 2nd, 2001. Yeah, and yeah, and that was around the time I changed my life. I got my driver's license because uh, New Yorkers don't drive, you know, because uh, I knew how to drive because I was in the military. You have to drive every piece of equipment. Um, and my whole life changed. Went back to school, finished my degree, got back into the sport, uh, and people didn't recognize me. That, that looks like Jason, but it looks like, you know, 65 pounds is a lot, dude. Yeah. That's a Backstreet Boy. Yeah. You know, uh, um, <laughs> that, that, right? That's a lot. So... I love to get into a conversation about people's path that leads to this lifestyle, but I want to talk a little bit about your path. I want people to know a little bit, a bit about who you are. What moment or what graduation, gradual um, um, momentum that built inside you that told yourself, this is what I want to do? Why yoga? What's, what's with that? So, okay. I think you were going to ask me something else, but the, the yoga, I got into the yoga really because of the physical part of it. Uh, it was, you know, I was very athletic, as I told you. I used to dog sled, snowshoe, race, um, cross country, run, um, ice hockey, football, soccer, volleyball, like, you know, yeah. and uh, trail running, which I didn't realize was a thing until recently, but it is. So, yeah. you know, you name it, I did it. And by the time I was 18, I started to notice my body tightening up. So I started doing yoga to stretch. And whenever I refer to yoga back then, it's always about stretching. And then I would go to the gym and work out or, you know, whatever, run. And I quickly started hurting myself. And I didn't, it would take me 25 years to figure out why I was hurting myself so much. Jeez. <laughs> Jesus, yeah, I know, no doubt. Yep, and that was when, like 97? <laughs> um, when I started yoga, yeah, it was, when I started yoga, it was around nine, nine, uh, 1990, 91. Um, but it really, for me, was a very physical practice. But, you know, I suffered a lot uh, when I was, you know, in my younger years, even up until my 20s with ADD. And uh, my parents actually had me tested because they thought I was going to be, um, you know, challenged, mentally challenged a little bit. Uh, so they were very concerned about my learning progress. And it's kind of ironic now because of who I am and what I do. So I just, my biggest advice to parents is just chill the F out with your kids and Thank let them you. be kids. 
Um, because my parents, you know, kind of, I think they walked a very fine line on both issues. Like, you know, they were concerned about me, but they also let me be me. And even when I graduated, I didn't go to school. I just kind of like hit the ground running and my parents just always supported that. And then I just kind of found my own path. You know, they always, of course, wanted me to keep going, but I found my own path. And now I live in Costa Rica and I own a yoga retreat center. So bam. Um, <laughs> but the, it took me, it would take me 25 years to figure out like it was the stretching when I said, again, I mean, you're kind of using yoga and stretching interchangeably right now. Cause that was what I thought for many years is that yoga for me was about stretching. Then it slowly became more of a spiritual practice. I had certain teachers come into my life that kind of blew the lid on, on the possibilities of what yoga could become. And I really attribute a lot of my success to that um, as well. But in the meantime, I was starting to become more and more uh, disabled, if you want to use that word, um, in, in my body. And there was like one time I developed this searing neck pain and that persisted for years and years and years. And oh, it would start man. right in my neck, shoot down into my shoulder blades and then down my arm. And I would wake up at night feeling like, you know, a knife was digging into my scapula, into my shoulder blade. So I, yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've dealt with all kinds of issues. The biggest issue I think is in my lower back. And it was like I said, 25 years. And I ended up in a surgeon's office an orthopedic surgeon's office who wanted to do a spinal fusion in my lower back. And so that was like the biggest light bulb moment on so many levels, because part of it was ego related, like, oh my God, I'm this great yoga teacher. You know, I've been teaching people to do this stuff. And now I'm here. Someone's telling me I'm going to need a spinal fusion. So who am I? That was part of my learning process. And I kind of had to go back and it, it took me a little while. It didn't happen overnight, obviously, but I had to sort of start to unravel everything. And I think that for me as a yoga teacher, and, and I have a lot of yoga people that are not like happy with me right now um, and compare me to an offspring of Satan, but they, I have a lot of compassion for them because I can understand like so many yoga teachers being threatened by what am I teaching if I'm not teaching stretching? And so part of what I'm trying to do is like flip the script in the yoga world to reclaim what yoga should be about. And um, both physiologically and mentally and spiritually and kind of like get rid of the words stretching and flexibility. One of the biggest things that I find ironic is that yoga teachers will sit in the front of the room and say yoga students has nothing to do with stretching and then they'll like fold over their legs and almost kiss their toes it's like are you so kidding what me what do you call that <laughs> yeah what do you call that and and i just i really admonish uh yoga teachers who show off their flexibility um if you go on my like my instagram page you you won't really find me like going and showing off, if you want to call it that, my flexibility. I'm always like backing off. If I'm if I'm showing off a pose or or demonstrating a pose rather, 
um, it's like only like 20% of what I should do because I never, I want to try and make yoga accessible to everybody. And one of the things that I'm trying to disrupt is this thing that I, people think like, oh, I can't do yoga because I'm not flexible or I'm not in shape or, and that's all, you know, horse pucky. Um, anybody can do yoga if you have a breath and you have body, <laughs> if you have a body mm -hmm. and can breathe you can do yoga and, and that's all it takes. And it's through the breath that we start to awaken that consciousness, then which wakens our purpose um, and gives us that confidence to go out and manifest it. So let's make a mental footnote about uh, um, confidence and manifestation as well as the power of forgiveness, something else you said in your, in your, in, in, in your elongated but beautiful um, um, <laughs> diatribe and soliloquy. Um, I wanted to go back and ask what part of your back did they want to do spinal fusion on? Lumbar spine. So like like between L5, right. sorry, L4, L5. And your S1. Um, and then S1. Right. Yeah. Because it's just a mess down there. Even now, it, it's still a mess. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's not as bad as what it was. And mm -hmm. I've been doing a lot of rehab uh, between the muscle activations and other things really kind of working to bring a sense of of stability right. uh, to that area. And it's kind of interesting because I'm so in tune now um, with when I don't have stability and I'm like, okay, need to go, you know, do some muscle activation, start turning those muscles back on. No doubt. Uh, yeah. Yeah. For I um, had an injury, a similar injury that uh, there was, a, it was a tear, a muscle tear where the um, lumbar region was near the S1 or whatever and this and that. And they were saying I needed physiotherapy. And it was a huge, huge coincidence that pursuant to my major, uh, I was in a BFA program for acting. Um, you have to take movement for a whole year, right? Yeah. Everybody's trying to sign up. You know, I mean, no one wants to get stuck with the adjunct. They want to get, they, they want the faculty member, someone who has a reputation. And I, I got stuck with the adjunct, but the adjunct happened to be this woman named Faye Simpson. Who was who was learned and, and and a master in lucid body movement, and she asked me. She says, "Does any before we start, does anyone have any injuries they want to talk about? Like you know, before class or whatever." And I and I told her mine, and she worked with people, and she's like, "No, you do this until you're ready to do that." And then I was doing that, and then when the semester's over, she's like, "How do you feel?" Then I started doing the same thing everybody else. She's like, "Awesome," and, and the pain went away. And, and then yeah. the doctor said I didn't need the physiotherapy anymore and didn't know why. So uh, um, I'm indebted to this woman, you, you know what I'm saying? She, she gave me her number. I actually called her and her boyfriend got like mad jealous. Like, I don't know if there's, there's something going on out there, but, but I'm like, <laughs> she gave me her number to call her if I have any questions. And well, I mean, what kind of, what kind of, who does that after, after this woman saved my, my athletic life? You, you know <laughs> yes. what I mean? Uh, of course, I'm going to call and ask stupid questions, you know? I mean, it was weird because I was a returning adult student. It wasn't like a 20 year old calling her. I was 33 years old when I went back to school. So there was, there was, everybody was intimidated. My, my own professors were intimidated. It's like this dude was drinking at the bar last night next to me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> He's, In fact, we're the same age, you know? So, so I mean, uh, you know, there are a lot of people who felt awkward about that process, but, but it paled in comparison to how I felt. But I yeah. think the point I was trying to make was, if you know about lucid body movement and you're a hot person yoga and a naked, naked yoga person, you definitely uh, uh, know 
the association of the seven major chakras of the spinal cord, right? So yes. that's always everybody who has like a, a like kind of exploded second. Uh, educating the people at home, second chakra is where your your sacrum is. Your your your, yes. and that's and that's like your fluids. That's your sex. That's your um your ability to feel right. And the, and the opposite yeah. and the opposite of that is guilt, maybe right. And then yeah. above and then second above chakra that, is more like about desires and yeah. you know carnal desires and I mean yeah. it's just sitting above first. So but it's also creativity as well. Um, that's the home of like the well of creativity, inspiration, right. uh, not so much aspiration, but just kind of like inspiration right. and, um, and, and just kind of like, like feeling like, oh, I really want to go do this. You know? And at the same time, it's, it's this razor close to your ego identity, which is yes. where your lumbar spine is, right? That's, that's the third chakra. A third chakra. Yeah. It's just ego identity. Of- yeah, I right. Mean, third chakra navel center corresponds with L three. Yeah. So yeah, yeah your sponsor. right to produce power. Like the uh, all right, let's just go through the whole list because we know what we're talking about here. And I'm I'm learning <laughs> a little bit more from you because this is more your wheelhouse, and I've only done it for a year, <laughs> um, a, a school year, which is which is you know a big sample size because a school year that's all you did. Uh, um, yes. So the audience, first chakra, stop me at any point, um, is your groundedness, your security. It's your ability, your right to be here, right? Yes. Your second chakra, you were talking about fluids, sex, uh, uh, creativity, that kind of energy, right? Um, how, yeah. All right. I want to go back, though. First chakra, the keyword for first chakra is survive. Like, right. I am surviving. Yes. So, you know, we want to, from a yogic perspective, we want to get in and get out. Right. And, so part of first chakra is like, let's just make sure like I've got everything I need to thrive or or to survive so I can spiritually thrive. And but but at the same happens- at the same time, is it not associated with your right to be here? Uh, or is that more ego? Or is that more here, ego? I would, yeah, I would I would place that more in third chakra. You're not even aware of yourself in first chakra. In first chakra, you're not really Survival, awareness yeah. of self. Agreed. There's not that, that cognitive, and you can see people like that that are stuck in first chakra. It's like you know, when am I going to eat? When am I? Where am I going to sleep? You know, they're just totally consumed. Yes with making sure that they're fed, that they have a place to sleep. And, and that's what their life is about, you know? And then, so what we want to do is start to awaken like that second chakra of like, oh, let's actually go out and create, like, what do you want to do as a human being? And then third chakra is like, yes, this is me. Yes. Yes. It's um, <laughs> as the Spanish would say, I pore, pore, sin igual pore. <laughs> Your ability exactly. to produce power. Right. So yes. the fourth chakra um, and please interrupt at any point. Um, your ability, your ability to lo- love and be loved. It's it's your heart identity, right? And that's where, yeah. and that's closely located to where your thoracic spine is. Yes, that is right? true. The heart center is also really known for like this. I call it the center of truth. Yep. Like there's a sense of knowingness in the heart. And so, you know, one of the things I commonly say is like purpose was knocking at the door of my heart. You know, not at the door of my sacrum. It was like, there's like, you know what you know, that kind of like in the heart center, your heart always knows. Right. I'm actually going to pull it up so we can, we can actually look at the spinal cord and, and do it together. So, uh, the, 
And then we have the the fifth chakra, which, which is, is like the ability to tell and hear the truth. Yeah, yes, cervical, yes. cervical spine, yes. right? Cervical. Uh, the throat chakra is cervical in the, spine. Uh, in the cervical spine, yeah. Right. Seven seven vertebrae there, people. Um, <laughs> um, we had to learn every single bone in our body uh, um, pursuant to this class. We had to learn about the entire things. Let me see if I can do an image search and if it comes up. All right, it comes up. Um, yeah, and then you have the sixth one. Walk me through that. Yeah, the sixth one is, I think it's the pineal gland, if I'm not mistaken. Um, the pineal gland, it's sort of like in the middle of the brain. Right. Uh, but we access it from a couple of different points. And one of them is sort of in between the eyebrows and just a little bit above. And um, and then that's like one of the catstrums for it, like one of the access points uh, for it. And that's kind of, there's a few names for the sixth chakra. One of them is like the guru chakra. Yeah. Like that. The, the your ability to see, like metaphor. Your ability yeah. to, yeah, your ability to see. It's also your ability to know and to see truth. Um, well, and, that is not the unofficial seventh one. No, I would, I don't, yeah. So when you open up, when you're really like strong at sixth chakra, it's sort of a gateway to seventh. And then seventh opens up to universal consciousness. Right. So seventh chakra, you're starting to awaken into that collective um, beingness, if you will. Um, and if you're a good teacher, you'll never really teach crown chakra. Right. Uh, you won't even really focus on it because when you really fully awaken mm -hmm. the Ajna chakra, the, the, the sixth chakra, then the crown chakra just explodes. It right. just, it's just something yeah. that just opens just... up. Yeah. So but the interesting thing is that a lot of people um, do yoga to get out of their head or to go to the bliss, if you will. But what we <laughs> the opposite are, happens. The key, well, exactly. The key to unlocking the power of six chakra is concentration. And so you learning to actually get in your mind and starting right. to retrain your mind to be able to focus mm -hmm. and, right. and concentrate. Um, that's how you start to uh, wield the power of, of six chakra. Right. Well, the reason why I learned it the way I learned it, or I, or I was taught the way I was taught, is because the class is called Movement for Actors. Uh, yeah. And understanding, like, someone who has slumped shoulders or someone who stands like, you know, there's the Challenger Defender uh, um, character, right, that defends the weak, you know, kills the bad guy of the world for America. Uh, um, then there's the rigid one, there's a schizoid character, and and to better play these characters uh, as, as understanding how to stand and how your shoulders are and where it is, and and that's why we, we she came up with these these labels that, that you said some of them might even be mislabeled, but, um, yeah. and of course the opposite, right? Like your survival, uh, the opposite of survival is fear. The opposite of the fluidity is is guilt. The opposite of your ego is shame. The opposite of to love and be loved is grief. The opposite of seeing here the truth is lies. The opposite of, of seeing is blindness. And the opposite of the seventh one is detachment, right? Yes. So so understanding those allows you to, to, to implode or explode and become a better actor. So this yes. is... So, um, so guys, don't listen to me. I'm just a moron from Brooklyn. Listen to him when it comes to the chakras. I'm a, I'm just I'm just a guy who studied acting, you know. Um, that was lucky enough to even 
to even have the ability to humbly address this uh, the conversation <laughs> you know yeah. the levels to this you're on this level i get that but i thought that um i guess i was trying to impress you that i know a little bit <laughs> Chakras are my bit. serious jam. I might one of the very first practices my teacher gave me in 2002 mm. was for the chakras. And whenever I, I I'm talking about the chakras and I give a lesson on it, I want, I'm like, what? keep talking. I want to show know, them. How do you know if doing chakra practice works? Look at what I have in my life. So <laughs> yeah, so this is a nice little picture of just the connection, the back and forth, and the energy shot back and forth, yeah. supposedly. Um, it was used uh, uh, religiously, right? A thousand years ago, even 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 now, maybe right, maybe maybe more associated with Hinduism or something like that. So some people have a religious perspective of it, and some people, um, like you said, understand how the energy works, right? Sometimes yes. you consider, um, I consider experience, experience. <laughs> to quote, well, to quote Loki from the movie Avengers. <laughs> the chakras, you know, within the chakras, it's supposedly, and and I always kind of teach it like you can approach it from a um you can approach it from like a, a real you know very serious like i'm gonna like work with this they're real they're in our body you can also approach it more from a, a perspective of psychology you know because all of the chakras relate to different aspects of our own inner psychology if you will like you were talking about fear well, where does where is the source of fear? Fear resides at first chakra, that the fear of death. And so if we can't do anything in life if we're stuck in fear, if we're stuck in the first chakra. So for me, from a psychological psychology perspective, I love the chakras. And no matter what you believe, if you don't believe them, if you do, if you approach it from a psychology perspective, doing chakra practices will transform your life. There's no doubt about that. Mm -hmm. And you start to, like if you're chanting to the chakras, you start to resonate at a certain frequency. And it's, it's not like pseudoscience. There's a lot of science to show that certain frequencies activate different parts of our personality. Um, you know, and, and we can look at like famous people in history and look at what kind of speech they used and how they intonated and what were the results of that into intonation. I mean, look at Hitler, for example. Right. And and so in a lot of his speeches, which is probably not a very great example, uh, you know, pulling him out. But but there's a lot of like ours. We're all dealt here. <laughs> and, and all of that relating to third chakra and and activating the worst parts of the third chakra in a race of people that went on to do big things, unfortunately, in really bad ways. So we know like if we can harness those sounds, it's going to start affecting our different parts of our personality. And yeah. that's kind of like part of the science behind the chakras is changing our frequency to unleash our purpose no doubt can can you appreciate how that made people better theater performers too like anyone who, who got into this gangster who got into this gangster stuff um <laughs> you know they'd be um i was also you know i was balancing theater and volleyball i'm more volleyball uh, uh, volleyball now i'm a coach i'm a commentator and yep. um that made me a better coach. Uh, uh, you know, at, the t at that time, I was a part-time NCAA coach. I was at Baruch College. Um, George Santos was not there. Just thought you should know that. Okay. <laughs> 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 Just, I mean, I mean, 
Man, we, we can talk about a whole bunch of things on this podcast. Can you appreciate like the, the humor, like all of the coaches, you know, when this guy hit the news, it's just like, who? <laughs> who was that? What? Yeah. So, man, yeah. Listen, we could forget. You've been in New York, right? So there's. Yeah, absolutely. So, 10 the years. Guy, so the guy committed two big sins. Yeah. One, and this is bigger than volleyball to some people. He said he was Jewish. That's you can't you can't you can't do that in New York City. They they they, they Jewishish. Yes. No. I, listen, I told my friends I wasn't Jewish, and they told me nobody's perfect. All right, so you can't you can't you can't be out there lying about being Jewish. All right, so yeah. And volleyball, like New York, is a, a a more tight community, unlike California, because there's less of us out there. You know, yeah. there's, there's less players. So the talent pool is consolidated. So we all know each other from the coaches, you know, and from players who become coaches all the way down. And I didn't, you know, I just didn't. I, I mean, he said he played in 2010, but the guy that I played club with ended up being the coach there in 2010. So it was an easy phone call for me to just ask, you know. And, yeah. and my, my, the guy that, the guy that told me his name is Justin Stack, he's like, Jason, you should know better. He said he said he beat up on Yale and Yale doesn't have a men's volleyball team. So that should have told you that, right? He also said yeah. he got a, he got an athletic scholarship, a volleyball scholarship, and Baruch is a division three. And they don't they don't do they don't give athletic scholarships to division three schools. It's a rule. You can only do it for D one. You know? Yeah. And even for D one, you're only allowed four point five. On an eighteen person roster, you're only allowed four point five scholarships. So I mean there's a sniff test that that you know I didn't even have to call if you if you know the sport you didn't even have to call an ass. So let's talk about New York. Let's talk about um you had a nice little joint on on Chelsea doing a little hot yoga, yes. a little naked yoga. Um uh, of course Chelsea uh, for the people that have never been there, one of the most lively neighborhoods you will ever be in your life. It's just alive the the piano bars are awesome you're not know, saying karaoke nearby a uh, fat black pussycat and on sixth street below chelsea but you know i i actually played um rocky in the rocky horror show in the eighth street playhouse before they moved it to the uh the west side oh yeah i just got out of the military i was i was cut you know this this, <laughs> this, this jufro was this jufro was bleached you know so i, so I got to play rocky so you must have been a real looker back then yeah i definitely i think yeah modesty won't prevent me from saying that i was a looker <laughs> <laughs> yeah and a volleyball player too so and there's a great volleyball league in, in, the, in chelsea called the gotham league it's a gay league it's um mm -hmm. you know it's not just for gay people straight boys can play there if 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 you're not tight about that kind of thing uh, um mm -hmm. but let's talk to me about maybe how you wound up in chelsea um you know your the venue the spot the type of yoga the floor is yours uh just take me through this adventure so i when I made the decision to move to New York, it was, I already was kind of having my dream job. I was a scuba diving instructor uh, with Royal Caribbean cruise lines. And I kind of bounced between the Bahamas and Haiti in their private resorts. But I was also really into my yoga practice at that moment. And I just kind of felt like, I felt like I needed to do something else. So I, kind of like sat with it and I felt like I need to be a yoga teacher and kind of spun the globe. And that's New York is where I kind of landed. So I ended up there 2001, January 2nd, and 
I had $3,000 in my pocket. Um, that was all the money I had. So I had to hustle. Uh, and you know what it's like to hustle in New York. Um, I, but one of the questions I asked myself was like, who do I really want to teach yoga to? And I felt like one of the most underserved populations at that moment, and still to some degree, was men. And uh, remember, this is 2001. This is not 2022, 23, sorry. No, you know. no you're right. Um, this was a very different time. I mean, you know, for a lot of people, the, their association with yoga at that moment was Madonna. You know, Madonna really kind of blew up the yoga scene at that moment. So I... I decided to start working with gay men. So I kind of placed some advertisements here and there. And then I was like, I really want to kind of reach more men. So why don't I start a class? And then I was thinking, well, what would capture people's interest? And so there was kind of like two things going on at the same time. Like one, I was like, what are going to capture people's interest? But then I was remembering that about, Eh, about seven years before that, more or less, I was kind of contemplating on starting a naked yoga class in Vancouver for gay men. And I never did it because then I ended up leaving. But I just thought, why don't I just do that? And one day I was walking across the street, literally at Sixth Avenue across 23rd Street. And the sun happened to be shining on me at that moment. And I like, whoa, hot nude yoga just kind of popped. Literally, it's just like, I stopped and I was like, hot nude yoga. <laughs> it's and, it's the but, band. <laughs> <laughs> Blues Brothers reference. <laughs> um, when I worked with a documentary filmmaker a few years later um, called Joy, Joy Reed. And not the not the commentator, the MSNBC commentator, another Joy Reid. And she's, she's a hack. And <laughs> she, she kind of came up with this tagline for me, which I then became the tagline. Um, it's everything like it sound. No, no, no. It's everything that it says, but nothing like it sounds. And <laughs> that was so the truth. It's hot. It's naked. And it's yoga. And um, it's not hot for the reasons that you think it's hot for the temperature right. and consistent um, with hot yoga. Right. Being, but being also too. And so when I first started it, I was thinking to myself like, oh, this will last six months. You know, people will lose interest. You know, maybe I'll move on. Who knows? But after the first, it was actually in the second class, I had about 10 people come up to me saying to me, like, I've never experienced anything like this in my life. I've never felt more in a part of a group of people. I've never felt more like a part of a community. And that was kind of like when I started to go, oh, there's something here um, that's really special. And that specialness, you know, kind of blew up. And New York Times, sorry, the New York, uh, the Time Out New York right. came and did an article on us and they coined us as the underground sensation. Okay. And after that, it just kind of blew up nice. um, in a big way. So I very thankful for obviously a lot of the press. We made the front page of the Columbus Dispatch one time. I mean, right. it's like a lot of really uh, great press. Out Magazine did a whole article on us. And but what really started to happen for me was this beautiful uh, sense of community. So we became kind of this traveling um, hot new yoga show, if you will, because we kept renting different spaces all over sort of Chelsea area, you know, between 27th Street and 14th Street. 
And then what ended up happening was I ended up getting a studio space right on the corner of 10th Avenue and 27th Street, sort of in this kind of new art district back then. This is going back to 2004 now, I think. And it was like a space that we finally had our own space and we weren't moving around. And, and it was like a space that people didn't have to rush out of and people could feel like at home in. And that sense of community really got fostered in a huge way. And that was the inspiration to open up a yoga retreat center in Costa Rica. That was awesome. And and, and the momentum. Yeah. Uh, and of course, you know, with all the positive stuff comes 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 people trying to trying to, um, you know, um, I guess not Debbie down it, but like critique it, right? The Guardian didn't have a whole lot of nice things to say. They were like, oh, this guy, <laughs> right? They, they were like, oh, you're sexualizing yoga. Oh my God, you're just making yoga about sex. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, lighten up people. I mean, I think that a lot of people, I mean, this is one of the things that kind of bothers me still to this day and probably even more so now than back then because I see this kind of demasculization of men. And, you know, men are already dealing with so much shame, you know, like if a man gets a hard dick, you know, and, and say, for example, he's on a naked beach and he's hard and people see that. What is the first thing that they think? Pervert. Yes. You know, and, and no, he's just a guy. Involuntary a reflex. <laughs> rushing. Yeah. And some guys are triggered, you know, like you they have a cool breeze and they get hard. And so, you know, in my class. You know, some guys did, some guys didn't, you know, but it was never, it was never noticed. It was never like, it's just like made to be natural. Right. And my hope, you know, my hope back then and still is to a large degree is we as men need to celebrate our masculinity in all forms. And part of even the work that I, you know, I led like a men's retreat just two weeks ago. And I'm all about like, like, let's celebrate the masculine um, and raise it and all the quality, all the great qualities that come with being masculine, our ability to be strong, courageous, to be protective, to, um, to hold, you know, safe space for people so that they can thrive. And uh, when I was doing my classes, it was like such an opportunity for people. Yeah, I'm a guy. I'm around other men. And even, you know, we even had a lot of straight guys come to the class and just love it um, because it was just a safe space for them to be who they were without any kind of judgments or, you know, ex external pressure being put on them. The only thing you had to do was show up and breathe. That was pretty much it. Yeah. And I like that you said straight people were there too because you know in this journey of life on the other end of the on the other end of that on the other end of the fence we're climbing over is this heightened level of social maturity right yeah. you, you know what i mean the, um uh, my previous podcast i had a conversation about you know who looks good and acknowledging someone looks good versus you know and it, saying it is what it is right like i have my friends all like why are you why are you checking out that girl when you're married i'm like because i'm not blind right social <laughs> social yeah right social maturity dictates you can acknowledge someone's good looking but at the same time you know i'm saying that's you know it's 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 i don't know we, and our society has this thing and this is why uh, um it's such a, a big challenge in the united states of america because you're already up against it with american sex all right you're already up against it because because of the mistrust to us in america to america if you think about it you're going to do it 
right? If you like that guy, oh, you're automatically going to have sex with that guy. I'm just like, first of all, it's a mutual thing that has to be, you, you know, it takes two hands to clap on this, right? You know, too. You know, I mean, they don't think about all of the other colors that come into play, right? You know, and, you know, I grew up very homophobic, um, but that was generated from my ego identity. I thought that just because someone was gay that they wanted me. And I'm like, and I'm like, you know, when you finally grow up and look back retrospectively, you're like, man, I should be ashamed of myself. The ego, the balls on me to think that that it was all about me, uh, which is yeah. where the fear comes from. It's American driven. It's American inherited. And and it continues to be a problem where guys like you are up against it, where it wasn't just about that. Like I was yeah. reading some of the controversies. Uh, um, sorry, my earpiece is one ear, or I'm getting old. Uh, um, the controversies they took these the word sexuality or, or sexualizing yoga and use it as this this unfounded straw man fallacy, and it was and it wasn't fair. It wasn't fair. It wasn't me just reading about it, just reading on paper, not going back in time and and appreciating what you had to go through. That was nonsense. That was some bull job right there. You know, so um, I guess what I'm trying to say, and I, there's no question here, um, I'm glad that you took the positive and rode with it, right? Because something else in America is we really tend to infer to the negative. You can get yeah. 19 compliments uh, on YouTube, and one guy would be like, oh, this yoga thing, this guy sucks. And, and <laughs> we can't help it but to pay attention to that one guy. Yeah. and cater to the why maybe because in in our pursuit of perfection or, or um which might just result in greatness which is okay too right uh, um we think that that's part of our our our, our, our um our, our it's prerequisite to our pursuit yes. of being being better human beings that's not a question but is there anything you'd like to add to that <laughs> now's the time <laughs> I mean, I one of the things I've kind of realized about myself, literally, this is just a, within the last couple of months, is that I like I live in that sweet spot of challenging mores and challenging ideals and challenging, you know, sort of the status quo, and um, and you know, and I think I when I was much younger, I did it more from a rebellious place. I was like just fuck you to everybody and everything. Now I'm a lot more thoughtful about it. Um, you know, like after leaving hot new yoga and starting blue Osa, I've been kind of like searching for something to talk about and to be alive about. And, and it, you know, and then, then this whole kind of stop stretching thing came about and I was like, yes, this is something that is constructive. It's something that has merit. It's not something that I need to really push in people's faces. They're either going to get it or they're not. And and I, you know, as I there's people out there that are so like comparing me to the Antichrist in yoga. And so I don't really focus on that so much, but I thrive in that space. It's like, yes. And uh, what I am also finding too is, and I think it's part of like this sort of new awareness people are having to seek first to understand. I had a uh, a podcaster contact me and say, I disagree with everything you're saying. When can we book the show? <laughs> That's awesome. 
And, and I was awesome. so elated that, and because she, she was polite, she was um, truthful, she was, uh, you know, she was being authentic. And, um, but she was also like, you know, interested in learning more. She's like, this is not part of my reality. And I need to know more about this. Uh, right. Can I get you on the show? And so that's what I live for. And yeah. so when I see like these negative comments, like I have this Facebook ad running and this woman put on this comment, like you deserve to be sued. Okay. What? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, so I was like, yes, somebody is commenting. Somebody has a thought. Okay. Just, you know, get it out there, you know, and let's talk about it more. So who's going to, uh, what, what <laughs> juries, what juries actually going to, going to uh, put any price tag on what you have to offer against somebody else? Nobody. They'll, it won't even survive summary judgment. Huh? People have their sense of self like threatened. Right. And if you're a yoga teacher and your sense of self is wrapped up in how flexible you are mm -hmm. to hear somebody say that's actually going to lead to more injuries and it's not helpful and you're hurting people by teaching like that, then it's, it's like, you know, there's a brain brain explosion right. of like, who am I if I'm not teaching this? Who am I? So, But who are they if they don't listen? Who are they if they don't listen? If they, they don't listen i came into this podcast with my reservations i spent my, my, my i circled my whole volleyball career around stretching cool down stretching after and this and that and and, and i'm listening to someone like you like oh the last thing you should do is stretching and then i'm watching a video and i'm like what the hell do you call that that's that's called stretching isn't it so i came in with a bunch of questions what you didn't yeah. but, but as much as i like to talk the moments that I actually shut up and listened, you know what happened? This list of things that I, that I, I thought were criticisms. I started the whole time. I'm looking down. You see me looking down. I'm crossing stuff off. I didn't even get. I didn't even get to these questions. I didn't even get to these questions because allowing you know allowing you to talk uh, um, and and allowing myself and our audience uh, as we would have it to just listen. It really you you, you start checking off the boxes, man. You know, yeah. some will leave this podcast still disagreeing with you, but not wholeheartedly. And that's yeah. to me, that's life. That's well, life. the other thing. The other thing, too, Jason, is like I recognize that there's a lot of people that think what I'm saying is horse pucky. But for me, it's like it's planting a seed. You know, I my acupuncturist actually for several years before I jumped on this bandwagon, like for eight years beforehand, kept saying to me how much stretching was damaging my body and he's like i can see it here and i can see it here and i can see it here we need to activate these muscles i didn't hear him until i ended up in the orthopedic surgeon's office wanting to do a spinal fusion like i was like holy geez that's what he was talking about mm. so at the very least you know there i know that there's people listening and one day they're going to have that aha moment and they're going to go oh who was that yogi person I need to stop stretching. I should go get his book or something. You know, it yeah. opens up the doorway for people, at least down the road, to be able to be inquisitive, to inquire more. And that's what I hope, you know, at the end of the day is to create more conversation and provide more answers for people. Because a lot of people are dealing with like their pain injury, or, sorry, their pain journey. And they don't, they're going to their acupuncturists, massage therapists, doctors, physiotherapists, chiropractors. Nobody is giving them relief. Um, and or or just temporary solutions. Or just temporary solutions. 
Yeah, and stretching, by the way, does feel good temporarily. There's no doubt about it. I mean, one of my favorite poses is child's pose, which I now say is the worst pose. But I used to love child's pose, and it feels really good to drop into it and stay there for five minutes and just breathe and just kind of feel your your system becoming calm. And I can go through the whole biomechanics of why that happens, but then you come out of it with none of your muscles working properly and you're now vulnerable and open to injury. So it's like, okay, we have to kind of like step back and go, okay, what else can we do? What are the other options? And what are we really trying to do in yoga? Um, so that, anyways, my point is, is that I hope that that this starts to provide people with a possible exit ramp when they're ready for it. Well, you kind of met them in the middle by, by um, expressing your empathy. And, um, and we were and early in the podcast, I asked to make a mental note about the power of forgiveness. Um, yeah. Joe Rogan um, was on an episode with I don't know, somebody was talking about like, all you know, all these people coming at you and this and that. And he's like, No, you have to forgive people. And his guest was like, No, I don't forgive any of these people. No, I don't. I don't want to forgive that. But I don't want to forgive that person. And Joe Rogan put it in perspective, because I'm getting somewhere with this. He said, if I were armed with the same information as them, and I felt as passionate about the information I received and, and, and researched, I'd be as angry and, and, you know, as condescending, like, you know, the worst thing you could be called, the worst thing other than be called an asshole is, is being called adorable, you know, <laughs> dude, you're adorable. I'm like, yeah, don't do, do, don't do that, <laughs> you know, so, uh, uh, but enter, exit Rogan, enter you, you have this understanding that these people are armed with the, uh, um, a certain type of information uh, uh, that's widely accepted as something that they that works. Um, and it's weird because they're trying and not acknowledging and it's not working for them uh, to a point where they think they're doing it wrong, right? I mean, because they're so bought into it. Yeah. So that's what you're up against. And, and you have to have the power of empathy and uh, understanding and the power of sympathy, uh, feeling sorry for what they're going through and forgiveness, uh, yeah. be, right? Because I guess they feel as strongly about what they're doing as, as you feel as, 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 as you are. <laughs> and maybe it, it, it doesn't really take both sides to forgive. It really just takes one. Yeah. One side, one side can carry it. One side can create both sides of forgiveness and empathy and understanding. And that's, that's a great weapon you have on your side. I don't, I mean, weapons, are a, a, a very odd choice of sure. words on that one, but you kind of get what I'm saying, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and dude, it's golden. It's golden, you know? You. Yeah. It's Thank based you. on the foundation. I agree with you. It's, it's, but it also comes back to like, when when somebody is armed with a strong sense of purpose and in yoga we call that dharma and by the way you're talking about the chakras earlier the seed of dharma is in the heart center and in the heart center is the seed of truth and that's the place that's the domain where people like gandhi and mandela you know lived how does somebody live in prison in a small you know cell I don't remember the exact square footage, but very small for 27 years and come out, you know, liberating a nation and becoming the first president. Or how does somebody spend more than half their life, Gandhi, 
in prison, you know, and, and so you, once you're seated in truth, once you're seated in what, I don't want to use the word your truth. That's not what I'm saying, but your purpose and, and that purpose, you know, is so strong within you that nothing will deter you. Nothing distracts you. And we both can agree, like we're all distracted in this world. We, we put on social media, we see how we should be living our life. We turn on the news. We're told how we should be virtue, um, living more virtuous in life, you know, from our uh, news anchors. We're told by our friends, oh, we should be doing this. We should be doing that. We're told by our church, we should be doing this. We should be doing, but we're not. So yoga inherently is about coming back to that anchoring in that truth or that Dharma, if you will, within our hearts. I mean, you know, I'm a huge Jesus fan. I don't know if he ever really was living or not, but I'm a huge J fan. Um, I, I don't identify as a Christian, but I love the teachings. I love the Sermon on the Mount is one of the best teachings out there. And, but one of the things that, he, you know, Big J always taught was go back into the heart, bring your attention back to your heart center. What do we do in yoga? Bring your attention back to your heart center. What do we do in, in Buddhism, uh, Tibetan Buddhism? Bring your attention back to your heart center. So all the great teachings of the world teach that one singular practice of coming back to our heart center because there we can resonate with what our life purpose is. When I'm focused on, you know, who and what he's saying or, you know, what my mother is saying or what my church is saying or all these people are pulling us away from our heart and from what our real calling is. So part of the practice is then to just come back to purpose, be living your life in purpose. What is the purpose today? It's not to get caught up in all the noise. The noise is going to keep going. I actually had um, a person very close to me, very, 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 very close to me. This happened actually about three years ago, four years ago, right? The most scathing thing ever about me and she published it and and she we both knew a lot of the same people it was one of the most kind of like interesting moments of my life and 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 after that i realized a few things but i realized she can never take anything away from me um you know she can say whatever she wants to say uh, in yoga, we say Om Swaha, like we, I give this to the sacred fire. I turn it over to the, the primordial fire of the universe. May it burn and transform into something useful. And after that moment, I've never been afraid of a bad review or bad publicity or anything ever since then. And, and that's what we have to wow. do is just keep coming back to purpose. The, I, purpose. I mean, for me, the real question is why the hell are you call the Antichrist when I'm, I have the opposite re reaction? <laughs> You know, look, in the volleyball world, I'm not the most loved person. Nope. No, I mean, sure. this is a California sport. Who the hell wants to see the guy with the Yankee hat be the voice of volleyball? No one out here. But you know what? They they, they walk when they see me, they walk with their head down because they don't want this fire. You know, it's, it's uh, um, you know, you're going to live longer than me because it's just, you know, you realize that they're they're the ones you're the one living in their head rent free. Where me, it's the kind of the other way around. I'm like, geez, they got me. They got me again. And 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 now I'm liking it. But <clears throat> wanted to finish about Jesus, wanted to finish about our big J, right? You don't have to be a Christian to appreciate that this man identifies with being everybody. 
right? Look, um, you could say Jesus is Californian, right? Let his hair grow long, <laughs> right? Let his hair grow long. Uh, sure, always, always wore sandals. Started his absolutely. own, started his own religion. Okay, so uh, you could say Jesus is Jewish, right? Um, lived with his mom till he was thirty-three years old. He's pretty sure, pretty sure his mother was a virgin, right? And his mother was pretty sure he was God. That's Jewish. So, uh, right? Pretty, he could identify with being black. He called everybody brother. <laughs> you know, got got roughed up by the cops. <laughs> you know what I mean? So there's, there, he could identify with being Puerto Rican. His name was Jesus. Okay, so. <laughs> So now he is truly a man of the people and this iconic thing that supersedes uh, um, religious belief, but at the same yeah. time meets meets the spiritual eye to eye, man. You know, so big J is what we call him. I like that. I'm, yeah, I'm not a Jesus super freak, but I'm a Jesus freak. I'm kind of a Jesus freak. I'm cool with that. I'm cool. Jesus. I grew is up very yeah. Christian. I grew up in a very Christian household. Me too. So I grew up learning scripture. And I you never carried thought, a Bible everywhere you went, right? Uh, oh, yeah. Yep. Um, and then when I was around 11, 12, my mother went completely the opposite direction to new age. Mm -hmm. And so I, I feel like, but I, I, it wasn't until I really started teaching yoga um, in, in only the last few years, I really try to be inclusive in my yoga classes. And so if I know there's people that are more quote unquote religious, I will always throw in more quotes and it always makes them feel more included. And I never thought in my life that I would be quoting scripture as much as I do, but yeah. I pull it out when I need to. And it does create this inclusivity because I always try and demonstrate that it doesn't matter what faith you are, trying to be the best version of yourself is transcends all religions. Right. And we need to pull from all of them to do to become our best versions so that's what i try and do yeah i mean look look in america we have more issues with a so with a socialist jew than 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 they did two thousand years ago <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> but on sunday and every december 25th we're gonna celebrate that guy right so Absolutely. you know um so we got to go in a little bit, but I have something I call the 60 second lightning rounds. And I did that for my last 10 guests. So it would be podcast malpractice, not to include include you in that. So here in the conversation of inclusivity. Thank yes. you. <laughs> We've come full circle, my man. <laughs> All, right. All right. There's our one minute. There's our clock. All right. And go. Um, last year, who's your favorite comedian? Oh my God. Um, until recently it was Jon Stewart. Nice. Last good book you read. Um, it's a Roman book. It's this whole Roman series and I can't pull the name out of my head right now. <laughs> we'll do it after the minute's over. Uh, Marvel or DC? Uh, Marvel. Nice. Pool or the beach? Beach. Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter? Lord of the Rings. <laughs> uh, favorite spectator sport? Um, I would go for soccer. Nothing's more fun than watching those boys play. It's electric, isn't it? Um, favorite action film star growing up? Spider-Man. Nice. Yeah, I um, dreamed of being Spider-Man. I was more of a Schwarzenegger guy. Um, will Joe Biden make it to 2024? 
oh jesus if he lives long enough (laughs) (laughs) and that's the end You know, it's weird. I had a guest, a political analyst, um, a human rights uh, attorney named Irina Zuckerman. Um, She's an absolute savage, you know, Ukraine born and she's really into like foreign affairs. You know, the labor conditions in Qatar during the World Cup, just 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 this big truth teller. And when I asked her that question, she said in her accent, if you mean if he is going to live, yes, I think so. But to run for office, maybe not so much. I was just like, (laughs) it it was the cutest thing. You know, because she took a moment to to say it and think about it, and I thought, and she and she said it in the cutest way possible. If you mean he's, if he's he going to live? Yes, I think so. <laughs> you know, she almost, she almost sounded Albanian, like Mother Teresa. You know, one must participate in one's own salvation. Um, all right, so we're out of here. But before we go, is there any um, website? Insta handle some some people who want to get to know a little bit more about you. you I mean your first and last name is usually enough uh, this these fantastic yoga videos show up for Yogi Aaron man um did or did I answer that for you <laughs> you kind of answered it you know just go to I, Yogi Aaron. Talk, man. <laughs> um, I would encourage your your guests um if they want to you know especially for those volleyball players like you know, if you want to prevent things or if you're dealing with things, get the book because you're going to start to understand your body in a way that you've never understood your body before. I There is nothing else on the market that's anything like this that breaks it down, but also gives you tools to be able to start applying right away. Tell us so, the name of the book because that's something I was derelict in not talking about in this podcast. It's, it's Did I called, drop the ball on that or or what? No, 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 no. But it's called Stop Stretching. Um, <laughs> where am I going? Is that a uh, volleyball net? <laughs> 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 Hold on, I'll give you the whole screen. Sorry, I'll give you the Stop whole screen. Stretching. Go ahead. There. And- <laughs> nice. There you go. Perfect. And um, But just go to Amazon. Just type in Stop Stretching. And yeah, it just... Go to town on it because it will change your life. Uh, I promise you. Nice. All right. So, hey, people. Um, Yogi Aaron might love you guys, but me, I don't love any of you guys. In fact, I can't stand you. In fact, I am out of here. So, for all of you at home, for all of you on your iPad or iPhone, for all of you on your desktop, who runs the world? Old school, baby. Old school. That is Yogi Aaron, my guest. I'm Jason DeBiz. This is episode 169 of the Option Podcast. I'm going to hit my music. Stay with me, okay? We are out of here. We're out.